This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got Mark Ting on the program. Mark Ting. This is a, a very exciting episode. It is. And uh, it's kind of nice uh, eating Stephen Quinn's lunch a bit. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Because so, Mark obviously is, uh, he's a not only a, a partner and a private wealth manager at Foundation Wealth, um, he's also a financial columnist for On the Coast with Gloria Makarenko, and I think he used to be with Stephen. Well, Stephen Quinn used to be Quinn the host, right? On on, on yeah, the host. I, I, we've been listening to Mark Ting on the radio for years, and uh, the exciting part about having him on the show today is that he offers financial advice, kind of generally. Right. But Mark is a really big fan of real estate as an investment, and he's been investing in real estate in Vancouver and around the world Globally. for years. Yeah, yeah. he's. So it, it was a really interesting conversation about how he got his start in real estate and some of his big wins, some of his big regrets. It's a good conversation. It is a very good conversation. And uh, we should say, you know, we did record this a couple weeks back and we were kind of making some predictions in the interview about the fall market. Well, not so much predictions as we were taking a wait and see approach as to how the how the fall market is shaping up. And right. now we're talking on October 3rd, the stats were released yesterday uh, in regards to the September stats for the real from the real estate board and uh it appears that the fall is not showing up is that the verdict i think the well, the verdict's in the fall market is not showing up in 2018 well let's see because there was a lot of news stories a lot of negative press obviously we had the swiss mega bank ubs come out and highlight vancouver and toronto as very frothy markets 
What right. are, what are you seeing in the stats? You got the stats in front of you. I have the stats in front of me. I mean, there's a lot of uh, of news yesterday. It's kind of the blood in the water. Everybody's piling on here, uh, and the stats are not great. There's right. No, there's no question about that. Uh, sales volume is down 43% from September 2017. We have to remember September 2017 was still a very, very... Uh, that market was going like gangbusters, but we're way down, close to 50% in terms of sales volume. Okay. Um, we're down from August. August is traditionally a slow month, right? That's August September. August is, is that kind of usually that that dead month in the middle of summer, right? Where people are trying to get their final vacations in before the kids go back to school. That's right. And September usually picks up with listings and it picks up with buyers. In this case, we're down 173 uh, percent from last month. So okay. September was slower than August. Uh, and there's more listings hitting because uh, there were listings. So listings have been, um, you know, we're not see- seeing huge piles of listings. What we're, we are seeing, though, is listings that are existing kind of piling on month over month. So we're right. seeing that uh, inventory is increasing. They, there's a 40% increase in listings uh, over last year, September of last year. So, right. so there's more on the market. There's fewer buyers. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, positive news in these stats. Well, it, it would suggest, you know, if, if the inventory is creeping up and sales volume is going down, that suggests downward pr- pressure on pricing. Um, what about though, just quickly, can we recap the detached market and then the attached market? Cause I think still there, the attached market seems to be doing a lot better well, than the detached. Well, you're right. Here's the thing. So it's a buyer's market in the detached, uh, detached homes, single family homes across, uh, Metro Vancouver. There's, there's no question about that. We're at seven, uh, 7.8% in terms of sales ratio. That's definitely, that's an aggressive buyer's market. That's, that's less than one in 10 homes selling. That's right. And that's the, the region generally. Uh, the news is not much better for for condos and townhomes. Townhomes, it's it's fourteen uh, percent. Condos, it's seventeen point six percent. But here's the thing: we focus primarily on Vancouver proper, and if you break into the sales ratios. Uh, a little bit further, Vancouver is actually outperforming the market and specifically the local market. And we've said this before, we're still in kind of the close to 30% range in terms of sales activity Seller's for, market. A- for anything under around 800K in Vancouver. Stuff's still moving. It's still a seller's market. So when you dig a little deeper, you know, it's it's not quite as bad uh, in Vancouver. But uh, yeah, these stats are not great. So it's it's more in the affordable section of the market. And a lot of people say, well, 800,000, that's not affordable. But for Vancouver, that's very entry level, entry level two bedroom price points, um, entry level townhomes. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, so that's okay. Well, that's, that's a, that's a good recap. Other interesting news on the G- market. Give me some positive news, Adam. Uh, there is, well, here's some positive news. $40 billion investment, the LNG project in Northern BC got the green light this yeah, past week, which is really incredible. exciting. So this is largest the, infrastructure in, in Canada, Canadian, in Canadian history. history, Matt. Yeah. If you don't count uh, your childhood investments at McDonald's, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is going to be creating over a thousand jobs for decades to come. They're actually estimating. I was a big fan of the Shamrock Shake. <laughs> you were, you were. You still owe our parents money. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it's thousands of jobs for decades for drilling and processing natural gas in areas like Fort, Fort St. John and Dawson Creek. And there's the potential of up to 3,000 permanent jobs coming. And that's not even taking into consideration things like um, you know gas plants and water treatment plants that are going to be spin-off yeah, It's a massive for Fort St. John in the area. 
Huge, huge. So um, this is really exciting about investment opportunities coming in Fort St. John. You can imagine there's going to be lots of potential for landlords, lots of potential for people going into that market. And, and, and uh, the interesting thing, and we, we had this lined up before this announcement, but we have some guests coming up who uh, have done some developments in Fort St. John. So, absolutely. so wait for that because they still have some interesting stuff going on up there. For sure. And then, of course, uh, NAFTA approval went through, which yeah. is uh, which again is is exciting a bit more. Exciting! Some 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 better news, more optimistic news about uh, about the markets in general, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's a mixed bag this week. Well, Matt, maybe without further ado, why don't we cut to our interview with Mark Tang? Yeah, he was in the studio. It's a long and uh, really fruitful conversation. So let's cut to that. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Mark Ting, the guide to personal finance on CBC's On the Coast, and the partner and private wealth manager with Foundation Wealth. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great, thanks. Hey, thanks for taking the time today, Mark. Uh, Mark, can you maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, so in terms of real estate, I started, I got really lucky. I think my philosophy towards real estate, you got to be lucky, you got to be patient. And it's not like you have to do everything right. You just got to really avoid the big catastrophic mistakes. And that's sort of my theme. So I, I, I got lucky, I would say, because so, I was working overseas for a good number of years, back from like 1998 to 2000. I managed to save some money, came back with about 65 grand in my pocket, which is pretty good for someone who's like 23, 24 years old. Not bad. Then I had the choice. I'm in Vancouver. I'm dealing with Vancouver real estate which was quite a bit different <laughs> than it is now. <laughs> so that, I guess the big difference is back in 20, 2001, is it was pretty much the most ideal time to buy real estate. And it was a decision I made. So I was deciding, I got into a co-op housing. It was a brand new co-op housing, so it was really tempting because I would have been the first tenant there, or buy an apartment. And I ended up buying an apartment. It was like one of the best decisions of my life. It just, that sort of skyrocketed my, my interest in real estate and it allowed me to buy more real estate. Wow. So just just out of curiosity, where were you in Asia and what were you were you in finance then? No, no, I was a teacher. Okay. So I was in Japan, but I'm I was in finance. I'm an, I'm a wealth manager now. Um, but it was really actually in Japan where I got my interest in money because I was making about at that time uh, $3,000 worth of yen a month. Wow. But because of the currency exchange, it would go up from 3000 to about 4000 to 4200 just because of the fluctuations of the currency. So instead of sending money back or stockpiling money every month, I would research the currencies and I nailed it. Like I would stockpile a whole bunch of yen and then I would send it back when I thought it was an ideal time, which, uh, which worked out for me a couple times. So essentially, I boosted my, my income for the year by 20, 30% just by, by playing the currencies. So that's, that's where I got my interest. You know, I, I thought... This is a way that I could study, do things on my own, and boost my my income, and uh, not take too much away from your from my day life. So it was my little side hustle. Wow! And and just so I understand, when you got back to Vancouver, you looked at potentially moving in, buying into a co op, and moving into it yourself or a condo. Yeah. You went condo. You saw a huge lift, and that's where the real estate kind of interest. <laughs> along with the currency, playing currencies. And you were young to uh, to get into uh, those two fields, but this is, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it was a case where I was actually living with my parents, so that was a huge incentive to get out and make a decision. So right. I came back, I was 24, back living with my parents. I was married at the time, so I basically came back to Canada, married 
um, and living with my parents. So n- not the ideal situation at that time. It's a little bit different now. But uh, so I got, I got into the co-op because I also had a dog and I was, I was stoked about it. And that was really my number one plan. I was like, okay, this is a great way. Co-ops are, can be amazing. Um, but I just thought about it. You know, I wasn't making that much at this time because I was just an entry-level job. I was teaching, again, in, in Vancouver. And then I just thought, you know, let's just roll the dice on it. I got this. I'm a good saver. I, I have faith in myself that I'll make more money. And I just ended up buying the condo. It was a two-bedroom condo in Yaletown. And at almost a thousand square feet, and it cost me two hundred and six, two hundred thirty thousand dollars. Wow! And how I, long were you there? I was there for about four years, something like that. And we had to get roommates and everything to make it work. But I thought, okay, these are the sacrifice. It was worth it. And every year it went up. Well, you know, from right. two thousand one to two thousand five or something like that. It, it was it, probably a double. Yeah, which was something I totally didn't expect. It. Like I said, that was just pure luck of me moving back at the same time and having the down payment and sort of things fell into place. Do you still have the condo? I wish now. I know <laughs> I had to sell it and I bought my place in Richmond, which was fine because I was an upgrade and then the, the market kept on going up from there. And, and so you're still, are you still in the same house? So, cause you're in Richmond now, like it sounds like you've been basically living in two properties since you got back in the early 2000s. Yeah, that's right. Same, same house in Richmond. I've kept the house. Uh, it's, I've done some. I'm renovating it right now, so it's making some changes. I'm, I'm but, or sorry, I was just going to say, but so you, your capital gains exemption hasn't been a big factor in your real estate investing uh, strategy, I guess. Uh, no, I think about it quite often, actually, because there's always that thought when when you upgrade to a bigger house if you can afford it. Well, okay, you get the you get the exemption, right? The principal residence exemption. That that's a big factor. And uh, I, I've, I've played with that quite a bit because you have to offset that versus transaction costs and a bigger mortgage and cash flow and everything else. But I've, I've decided to stay in Richmond because, A, my neighbors are amazing. Like mm-hmm. I live in a cul-de-sac and uh, I, I told you I'm doing my reno and my neighbor's at my house every day helping me. And he's way better at this stuff than I am. So I'm, he's helping me out. It, you can't buy that. Yeah. And my, all my kids' friends are there. They all play hockey outside. They're skateboarding. So we've... We thought about moving, but we didn't. We just couldn't leave that area. Can you talk a little bit about some of your other real estate investments? Because I know, you know, just through our conversation, you own, you've owned and own currently quite a few properties. Yeah. Okay. So almost everything I've done beside my principal residence stuff, I've always done with partners. I've always found that it's really helped out just because we're, we're splitting risk um, and we got different expertise. So the neighbor that I spoke about, he... Very good at building, renovating, everything else. And we built a couple houses together with another friend of mine who's a builder in Richmond. And that was pretty stressful. That was, that was happening around the HST time oh, when it yeah. was coming in, was it coming out, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And our market just went on the market. Our t- we had two houses go on the market when, um, when it was announced that HST is now going away in nine months. So it was like the worst possible timing. So I, that's what I mean. Timing is hugely yeah, important. Every, yeah. yeah. The first time and it's I hard looked to out, time. <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah. Like uh, stock market, same thing. You don't don't try to time time the market at all. And it just you know sometimes you luck out like I did in two thousand and one and twenty thirteen. It didn't work out. So from that one, I learned a lot, and it wasn't a huge money maker. We made probably fifty thousand dollars on two brand new builds, which isn't a lot of money. Wow. I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's not because of the stress and right, everything right, else and right. the amount of time. It wasn't a big score by any means. The second house, we broke even. 
And what I learned on that was more of the interpersonal relationships because I was dealing with my partner who was also my neighbor and like super close family friend and it was stressful. He was pretty cool and laid back. I was also dealing with my developer who built the house, high school friends, still one of my best friends to this day, but you know, stressing him out because I was dealing with that. And what I noticed was we didn't really set the parameters up front. We, we thought everything was going to go great. We thought, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to sell it in a day. This is what happened in the past. We're all going to make a lot of money. Cool. And we didn't really think about what happens when things go bad. And that's what I mean. You don't have to get a whole bunch of things right. You, you just got to watch about those catastrophic losses, falls. And that's sort of what we struggled on. So I think what I learned about that is if we ever do a project again, and whenever I do a project with any of my new partners, we talk about, always we're talking about the devil advocate side. What's, what happens if this happens, this happens, all the bad things. How are we going to react? Who can afford what? Who can, who can withstand X amount of months of interest payments, all those sort of things. And if after all that, we're good, then we can go through. But I, we, we, we write it down, we set it out so that there's rules in play that if we happen to hit those eventualities, we got a game plan and it's not unexpected. The other thing that I think was a big mistake on that one was because we thought things were going so smoothly, my developer friend's father was the realtor. And um, I, in, a, in a hot market, you know, anything goes, but this was a really cold down market. We're dealing with the HST. Um, I, I really struggled with what my realtor was doing, but I couldn't, like he was my best friend's father. I, I couldn't <laughs> express things that I wanted to. Right. And that, that I really had a big problem with because I valued my friendship with my friend over the money. I, but, you know, it gets to a point where once you start losing or you're losing sleep about this, you got to do something. So those, those, are, uh, those are things to think about. If you are using friends or family members, you got you to gotta weigh those relationships and how, how are you going to react and be professional and work things out. Those are the things I lear- learned from that one. I guess my best score, again, comes to the currency again, uh, was probably back in 2012. Uh, I was looking around at what the opportunities were. And at that point, the Canadian dollar was higher than the U.S. dollar. So you could, or basically about par, but like a little premium, like 102, 103, 104. And at that point, you could buy a door in Phoenix or Tempe, Arizona for about $50,000 for a good unit, not not the slums, like somewhere right next to the university, well-maintained, good rents. And it would rent for about $600. So you could buy an apartment for $50,000 and get $600 cash flow. At that point, uh, you know, I threw caution to the wind. I, I took every piece of equity I could get. I borrowed from my parents. I partnered up with my friends and I started, I was like, look, this is an opportunity. Again, we went through it. These are the risks. I, I sort of made these deals with my, my friends who, who decided to invest and we were equal partners. Like, like you're in, I'm in, I'm bringing this, you're bringing that. And I basically asked them to be silent partners. So like, just let me do this. And they were perfectly happy to do that. So we bought uh, a 13 unit complex in Tempe. I bought an eight one for myself and we just sat on it and we, we collected the rents and then we borrowed in Canada and we're getting paid in us. And the the dollar was just a huge, huge factor of that because the dollar in the U S appreciate it. It was even the dollar itself. Even if we just changed a million dollars at that point into us dollars, we would have made, you know, 30% just on that. But why do that when you can get cash flowing properties 
And that, that was a huge, again, that was a huge setup and it's, it's helped me off in my career and other endeavors. So because of that, I've, I've since sold both of those properties and I've, that's how I, that's how I'm partners in foundation wealth now, because I bought into that business. So it's all opportunity costs, right? If it wasn't for this opportunity, the foundation wealth one, I would have been perfectly happy keeping those. And I would have kept them regardless of what's happening. Cause they, they were just cash flowing properties. But if there's something you could do better, with your real estate, then I think it's worth exploring. So just to maybe unpack that a bit. So in the Arizona, what year was that when you bought the the apartment? 2012, I believe. 2012. And so you had a management company and... That's right. How did you go? I'm I'm just curious because you kind of go from a local investor to a global investor. Yeah. Um, what can you talk about the process and how you went about learning Arizona, how you, how you went about finding the properties, um, connecting with people? Yeah, it's a relationship game, right? So uh, you have to find people that you trust there. You're blind, pretty much. So you gotta you gotta go there and trust it. I, I met, I got a, I got a, a recommendation for a property manager, and I, and I talked to them, and I went to Arizona. Like I would never buy anything that I didn't see. I went there, I took a look at a, a various different places, locations, sort of what I what I liked, and I I met with a couple property managers, and I just picked one. And it was mostly purely a personality thing. Like I did look them up online and there was some negative stuff there, but I I always figure people generally post negative stuff as opposed to positive stuff. So I don't automatically dismiss people for them. I want to give them a chance. And uh, I just wanted to see their vision. Okay, this is the property. What would they do? Would they upgrade it? Would they, would that, does it, how does that, what's the payback on that? If they, if I spend, if I bought it for 50,000 and I spend $10,000 to upgrade it, you know, what's, what's the cap rate after that? When is my payback going to happen? How much does the rents go up? And I, I just like the way he thought, you know, it's, we, we can make it work. So we had leeway, right? Because it was such a good cash flowing property. Even if we lost a couple renters a month or whatever, um, it, it didn't really matter just because of the cash flow so much. But I made it clear to him. I was like, look, I, I rather have like good tenants in there who just pay on time, less hassle, as opposed to trying to get as much rent as possible. And I, I do that here in Vancouver too. I, I tend to undercut the market just because I want the right tenants because to me, time is valuable. And I, the last couple of tenants we've had, I've, we went there like once in three years and they know that and they're happy and we're happy and it's a good relationship. So those, those are the things. Relationships are, are big. You know, get recommendations if you can. Visit, visit the properties and uh, try to make your life simple. Like it's not like often people think money is the main thing. What's my best rate of return? It's not. It's these relationships that are important. Like, like I, my original one, what's important to me? My relationship with my, my friend, my relationship with his father. That's way more important than these monies. The money will come. Uh, it's just keep your life easier. We're busy. Right? Well, 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 yeah, and it, it's interesting because about hammering out kind of okay if if things go sideways or the unforeseen uh, happens, how are we going to deal with this? Because when you partner up with people, you always partner up with people that you know and you like and you trust, right? Those are kind of. The, but often it's people that are are very important people in your life, and if things go sideways, there's that risk there. That's uh, uh, you know. We've we're uh, brothers in in uh, business together as well. I know there's there's always risk and stress involved. That's for sure. 
Yeah, fam- family enterprises, family businesses, uh, we, we see them. It's generally a third generational thing where like a founder will do really well and then it'd go down to the siblings and there's there's a succession plan there. But by the time it hits the cousins, the third, most of these companies do not make it unless they have proper planning, unless they have you know charters in place, rules in place, things that they can stick out op- opt-out clauses so that that's what i mean that's that's really important and do you think just in this is just in thinking of partnering up with people is that because the the trust and the connections are more are are looser like cousins kind of it's like you're you know them because of the family relationship but you're not necessarily it's not like you and your partners who build houses in richmond where there was a a fundamental strong bond that kept you together is that kind of where you see the stuff going sideways or uh in the family enterprises yeah it's just natural sibling rivalry right and and people will have different it's peer pressure or family pressure too right so if you if you got a founder who's very successful and then you you're the heir apparent and maybe you're not suited to be the heir apparent then what happens so it's up to the founder really to take the initiative i would say and try to set up their children for success and intergenerational success. That's why often these founders will bring in an, a CEO or an executive or be, or get board members, get people who are v- well-versed in the industry, whatever they are, put them on the boards, maybe put the kids on the boards so that they can discuss and learn. And then come up with that plan going over. I mean, it's just more extra layers, right? It gets more complicated. You could have one or two husband and wife, and all of a sudden you got three kids and then their husbands and the wife, and now they got like multiples. And the more people you have, the more conflict there possibly is. And if you don't have the structure, you don't have the rules in place, you don't have family meetings, you don't talk about really what your goals are, um, then then probably things will go bad. But yeah. if you're allowed to be part of the ownership group, the family group, and the business, all three of them, or two of those circles, or just one of those circles, and you have that option, you know, I'm still part of the family no matter what, but I don't want to be part of the business. That should be okay. And there should be ways to facilitate that. But it's interesting that you're hashing all this stuff out and having a clear plan in your business currently is is almost like you learned it early when you gotten uh into partnerships in real estate kind of earlier on in life yeah i mean that's how we learn we learn by our mistakes that's why i tend to talk a lot more about my failures or things i've learned than any of my any of my successes so it, it's one of those things i i took a course there's a course david bentall is really big on it because if you've known you probably know the bentall family and if you know their background what happened with their family essentially huge developers in BC, um, and uh, their their family just blew up over these issues, right? And then the company went away, and it was just a, a huge mess. And they had the best lawyers, the best accountants, they had the best people doing succession plan, and it blew up in their face. And a lot of it was this intergenerational personality type things, and that's what they were missing. They were last, missing that other component, which the lawyers and, and the accountants didn't really think about because they weren't talking that's what they were missing, and that's what a lot of these family businesses need. They need ways that these families can just go from generation to generation, pass on that wealth, pass on the business properly. And that, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of planning. And it's not something that I think people should be dismissive of. Sure, sure. Can we maybe, um, so kind of changing gears, going back to real estate here. Um, so when you're analyzing, you're looking at investments, it sounds like all over. What, what do you consider when you're analyzing a deal? Like what are some of the metrics you look at? Uh, cash flow is number one. Like I, I almost 
put zero growth on my returns. So if I'm looking at an apartment and if it doesn't cash flow, almost like me doing 100% leverage on it, uh, I probably won't do it or I'll, there has to be something else there. So I, I, had a, I had a question from a CBC listener and he was saying, oh, okay, like I got these two properties. What if I sell it to somebody for 50% of the market value today, but I get a life interest in it, meaning they can live in it until they die. And I got these two properties. It's a great deal. To him, it was a no-brainer. And I crunched, the, I crunched the numbers with him and I was like, you know, I, I probably wouldn't say it's a no-brainer. Like I was looking at the rate of return, assuming he's 60 years old, he lives till 90, that's 30 years. And it was a rate of return of about 2.3%. And he countered back and he's like, no, your math is terrible. Like, I'm surprised. He's like, this is the math I got. And he was assuming an internal rate of return, like capital appreciation of 10% a year. Wow. Seems a bit high. It seems really high. (laughs) And I was like, okay, this is why we differ. Because like, I'm being, I'm thinking of the worst case scenario. Like, Real estate goes down. Go go to Japan. Go to Phoenix. There's a reason I bought those houses for those apartments for fifty thousand. Yeah. It, it doesn't always keep going up. Right. It's a good long term investment, but sort of the kicker is the, the you get the cash flow. So if I bought that apartment for fifty thousand dollars and it, and I was still getting my six hundred dollars and then it went down to forty thousand dollars, I don't really care. I'll just wait it out. It's not a big deal. But now we're talking about big numbers in Canada, right? And in your you're seeing people putting down. 50% down payments and still not making it cash flow. Those things I, I stay away from. Like I it's just not in in an interest for me at all. I, I did buy a place a couple of years ago in, in New West and it was it was just because we got a good deal. There's and there's deals out there right now. I think there's a huge opportunity with people who've overextended themselves and have to flip their assignments and things. I think there's deals out there. But uh, often like the one I bought in New West, the the realtor listing was you're not allowed to go inside as is no pictures, no talking to the tenants, uh, quick close cash only that that's how you listed it. And I was like, that's perfect for me because that's going to scare away 99% yeah, of the yeah. people. And that's then I'm called gonna... the distressed realtor. Yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs> depressed realtor. Yeah, depressed. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there, that's where you get your opportunities for negotiation. Now there, there, I, I noticed that, but I also there was a skill set that I didn't really have because I'm not a, I'm not all that handy. So for that one again, I partnered with someone who's extremely handy. I put in the work. I was I was there for like three four hours every night putting in the work, doing things. But you needed somebody, a partner that could facilitate that as well. So that's why I like partnerships. Like I'll have a skill set, they'll have a skill set. We come together. We, we put in the work. That's that's the main thing. You put in the work, and now it's. It's going well. Question for you on that one. Did you end up keeping that property and renting it out? Or did yeah. you did you sell? Okay. No, that's that's rented out, yes. Okay. So that's actually, that's it's funny because we've talked about this model before, this idea of finding a distressed property, renovating it, and then keeping it as a, a rental property and potentially even refinancing it once you've added value to the property. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that you kind of strategically went in renovated, kept it as a rental. You've kind of built that little bit of a, a buffer as well, I, I assume. I assume the property, you added value to it. Yes. Uh, we There's there's a many reasons why I buy properties. And one of them was, uh, for this one in particular, uh, it was pretty beat up. Like the, the only thing they had, or you can see it, was like this YouTube video. They say, if you want to buy it, here's this YouTube video. And it was like uh, the Blair's Witch project. <laughs> it was dark and their camera falling around. It just, so 
there was that. So we knew we had to put some work in. So we knew that was that. But the other thing, it was, it's, it's right downtown. It's like the perfect location in New West. It's commercially zoned already. It's, it's on a residential street, but it's like at 6th and 6th, which is right next to the mall. It's perfect location. And in my mind, there's towers all around it. Yeah. And it's right next to a, a TELUS parking lot and everything. So in my mind, I'm thinking long term, this has got to be rezoned into a tower. Right. And it would be so easy for TELUS just to carve up their parking lot, take ours over, and then build you know another TELUS Gardens or something like that. So you know, you always have different game plans. Now, if that, that might not work for 10, 15 years, 20 years, who knows? But in the meantime, it's 100% cash flow positive. So in the meantime, like zero down, managed to cash flow it. It's got good tenants in there. So it's, there's, you, you're looking for multiple exit strategies. Right. But these are the exit strategies that you have to talk to your partners. Because in this case, it was a duplex. Me and my partner bought one half of the duplex and my other friend bought the other half of the duplex, but my other friend lives there. So we have to get, we have to have conversations about exit strategies. What if we want to sell and he doesn't? So we, we came up with these rules that, you know, it's, it's his decision. He's living there. He has more at stake. If he wants to sell, fine, we're, we're good with it. And if he doesn't want to sell, we're not selling. So these are decisions we made when we're all happy when we're all on the same page, <laughs> yeah. not when we got an offer in and we're debating. It's, we, we know it. I know it. My partner knows it. And he knows it. So the, I, it's yeah. very important. I, th- I think that's fantastic advice. Like not only knowing your relationships and carving everything out, but also having that that A, B, and C kind of exit plan. Like the best, the best case scenario all the way down to the what if everything goes south? How are we going to get out of this and right. not lose our shirts and our relationships, right? <laughs> which, is, which is so key to, uh, to real estate investing. Yeah, keeping friends is important. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, and having the conversations in in times where not everybody's at their wits' end, right? Yeah. That's the the a, a key component there. Well, you see that with families too when wealth transfers over, they they have these this, these conversations after their a parent died. Right, worst possible time, like yeah. you never make good decisions when you're emotional. Your parents, one of your parents just died, and you're trying to make money decisions. Not a good idea. These are the conversations you have years ahead of that. Okay, Mark, so kind of moving more to the Vancouver-specific market, what are your thoughts on on Vancouver in general, the current state of the market? And, I mean, I'm sure you get, being being an analyst for the CBC, um, I, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but where are we right now just in general, and do you have any general thoughts on the current state of the market? Yeah, it's hard to tell. I, I, I think this month's numbers will be quite telling. Like, the spring wasn't all that great. Summer was, sales are really low. I think 17-year low for sales right now in Vancouver, 22 year lows in, in, in um, Calgary. And I, if, if it keeps going that way, I could see two things happening. A lot of people have something called confirmation bias. And that means they'll see that their neighbor sold their house for a million bucks. And now they'll want that number. And it's just not realistic anymore. That was at the peak of the market, they have to shift their ideas. And then maybe the house is only worth 900, 800, whatever it is. So what often happens is nothing happens. And that's what we're seeing. Really low sales. So the, the sellers got this confirmation bias. They, they want last year's prices and the buyers don't want to pay that. So what do they do? Nothing. Right. And we, we, I think we saw a lot of that happening in Calgary. That's why you'll see very little sales, but not a huge amount of movement in price. Whereas in Vancouver, it's, it's, it's more of um, 
we're seeing that the single family homes on the higher end, they've been going down since about 2016. But a, a lot of a lot of people are sort of more interested in the, you know, 700 to a million. That's what I that's what I get asked a lot about. And then there's still a lot of, I guess, movement there. There's a lot of people who have uh, things to sell and, are, and that's what they're wanting to buy. So my my idea is if, if, if it was me and I was looking at buying these places, I do see this opportunity and I just see it happening with a whole bunch of inventory that's coming online this month, next month in Burnaby, all around the place. And I just don't think that everyone's going to be able to close on their on their condos. I don't mm-hmm. think they'll have the the financing in place. They might have bought two or three and now the banks are saying no. Banks are saying no to so many people. Like they're right. turning down everybody. So if you do have cash, I see there's an opportunity. And if it was me, I would get I'd just be doing a ton of lowball offers. I wouldn't right. be all that picky. I'd just be lowballing, lowballing. Don't I wouldn't be worried about hurting anybody's feelings. That's fine. And they, they perfectly don't have to counter you. But if someone does counter you, that means they're probably serious and maybe they're in, in, a, in a tight space. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been recommending to people. And, and are you, you're, it sounds like you're talking specifically targeting the assignment market here or, or just generally speaking? It, it doesn't have to be the assignment market. If, the, if there's deals out there and it, let's say it's, it's a building that's going to be complaining fairly soon or maybe just as completed or something like that and then people are moving in and Tower 1's done but not Tower 2 then they're they're competing with each other right so if someone in tower 1 wants to needs to sell while well, they're competing with assignments in tower 2 so you, you it's yeah. just low ball offers all around the place well, yeah and I'll maybe the building won't uh, will remain nameless but I just went through with somebody and kind of looked at 15 brand new units you know cuz so many investors or speculators bought and are looking to sell right after completion, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just going around and poking and seeing, okay, who's who's motivated? And yeah. it might be a race to the bottom. It may not, but <laughs> let's see who's anxious. It, it, yeah, it depends on how well they're financed. If they can hold on for six, seven months, okay, that's great, I guess. Um, you know, maybe not. They might be better off just selling now and walking away. To be honest, if I was stretched, if I was in that situation, and I or I saw a better opportunity, I would just sell it even if I didn't make as much money as I wanted. Keep the money sure. moving. I, sure. I, I did run into that situation. So the the house that I told you about in New West, I thought it was a phenomenal opportunity. At the same time, I had another place in Delta. And the place in Delta was, there was 10 houses in a row and they were all going to do a land assembly. It was zoned for land assembly. And all of a sudden, the 11th house in the row came online. And it was the perfect house. It was disgusting. Like I went in there, there was like 20 people living in there. There was like four dogs. The backyard was full of dog feces and everything. But I'm thinking, I don't really want a nice house. This thing's going to be bulldozed. I just need something in there. So me and my partner, we went in there, we fixed it up, cleaned it up, put some renters in there. And then uh, then it, it became a bit of a process because now we're dealing with 10 other people. It was, it was a land assembly type of a deal and it was taking longer than we thought. It was their homes. We were investors, so we less emotionally involved with it. So ultimately, we're like, ah, you know, we, we've done some work. We could probably sell this to somebody else. So we sold it and we made some money on it, but not a huge amount of money. And we took that money and invested in something else. It made sense from a mass perspective for the transaction costs and everything else to trigger those gains and whatnot, because we like the other opportunity. So if, if a lot of people who are investors, and that's what we're often talking about with these speculators who are buying multiple contracts or assignments, often, you know, they might have made a ton of money doing this for the last 10 years, probably did. That's why they're doing a whole bunch of these now. And if they have to take a hit on one or two of them, 
they're probably okay with them. It's the cost of doing business. Yeah, and these deals out and, there. And the other thing is, is like you look uh, specifically in that case. I mean, what they actually paid back mm-hmm. in 2015 or 2014 or whenever they bought it. I mean, the hit now is it's really about their expectation at the really dealing with the expectation of making, you know, 250k as opposed to 100 or 190k, you know. Right. That's like the it's, you know, the world's smallest violin in a lot of cases. Yeah, the game is not to make as much money as possible. The game is the game is to make some money and right. to keep doing things, yeah. keep doing transactions, keep active. That's the way I I think of it as anyway. So I, I'm never trying to maximize profit, mostly if it's going to cause me stress. If it gets to the point where I'm holding on to things and I, I don't really want to, and it's stressing me, I'm losing sleep, I'm just getting rid of them. Yeah. And that, that's what happened in my first builds where I built those two houses. I was stressing out about that. They were on the market for like a year, brand new builds, stressing out. And I was like, look, we got so much other things we could be doing. Let's just get out. We, we're going to make some money out of this. Not what we wanted, but like, let's move on. There's an, always another opportunity. So... So Mark, I'm struck here. I mean, you're a you're a private wealth manager uh, and and maybe this is the wrong characterization, but you're on the CBC talking about kind of general financial issues. Um most people in your position that we speak to often talk about uh, you know, better returns elsewhere <laughs> than real estate in a lot of cases. It sounds like you're heavily invested in real estate. It's a huge component of your portfolio. Can you speak to kind of um why you like real estate as an investment and also where how people should consider it in terms of a larger kind of strategy of wealth generation yeah it's a part of a portfolio it's one piece of the pie so i've i've done well with real estate real estate has often allowed me to do bigger and better things and like as i mentioned i've sold real estate to fund my partnership so i've shifted assets from real estate into my company which is more wealth management side and what I find is a lot of people will be very passionate about real estate and they'll hate the stock market or vice versa, right? They'll, they'll have bad experiences in one or the other. Typically, I find people with real estate, they have mostly over the last you know, 18 years or so, they've had good experience with real estate because they've, they've had the advantage of low interest rates, capital appreciation. Leverage is a huge thing, right? Because, I mean, a 5% gain on $10,000 you know, it's, it's what it is, but a 5% gain on a hundred thousand dollars because you borrowed $90,000 is completely different. Mm-hmm. So those numbers really appeal to real estate investors, speculators, but it's because we've been on a run. When people often call me, they're like, okay, I hear you on the radio. You, you talk about real estate, you do real estate and all this stuff. Tell me what I should do. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not a real estate professional. I'm the opposite span part of the spectrum. I'm the stuff that's slow and boring because if you're over-concentrated on anything, it's probably not a good thing. Mostly something that's speculative. And you got to get the idea that you cannot lose on real estate. People are losing tons of money right now. People who bought single-family homes in the last year and trying to sell them now, they lost like, you know, maybe a million bucks, half a million dollars. So it has to be, it has to do with patience and timing, but also discipline. And part of that discipline is to have a bunch of that eggs in that basket, that safety, that's slow and steady, that's going to be boring. And you just don't have to worry about it. You just know, okay, that's sort of what you could rely on. Sort of like you have a, a pension, your pension. Like you don't really put too much effort into it. And then if you want to dabble with real estate, get some revenue properties, again, you got to do the math. Like I use a spreadsheet. It's like a four-page spreadsheet and I punch in all these variables and it spits out you know, cap rates and return on investments and things like that. You can't go by your gut. You got to really look at the entry price. You got to look at their revenues and uh, mitigate a bunch of the risks. So again, it, it's something that 
if you're interested in it, you know, go for it. If you're if you're somewhat interested in it, then you probably want to have a partner or you might even want to do a limited partner thing like an armchair investment where, you know, you pool your money with a bunch of other investors and then you you hire a group of experts that go buy units somewhere. Could be here, could be somewhere else and you just get a dividend or you can just watch it, but you don't, you're not really hands-on. Um, there's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. So it's, often it's a personality trait. Like my personality is different from my partner's personalities. I tend to like real estate because it's done well by me. And I and I'm, I got the discipline, I think. And I, I'm less emotional when it comes to the numbers. And I'm perfectly fine waiting. Like I'm not buying anything right now. But I always think there's opportunities. The opportunities on the assignment. About a year and a half ago, I bought a condo in Whistler. And I bought it for the same price that that condo sold for in 2002. And then Whistler has gone up since then. It's just one of those things and markets, there's different markets that go in different wavelengths yeah. and you just got to sort of pick the right wavelength. And if you can make it work, then that's all the best. And and it's funny, like, you know, I think in Vancouver, especially over the last five years or so, Van- Vancouver real estate has become kind of very, a very sexy topic and very exciting, but I'm the way you're talking right now, it, it makes me think of, you know, what you were talking about in, in Phoenix, for instance, where, Hey, it cash flows, you can hold that thing forever. It actually can be boring and often should be boring. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's, uh, just like the other types of investments. Um, Hey, if you can make out like a bandit in a couple of years, fantastic. But, uh, I think everyone should have that, that long-term goal. I mean, if you can hold a piece of real estate for 20, 25 years, you'll be, you'll be fine. And if, if it's not a lot of effort, like my places in New West are not effort. I don't take a penny out of that. Like it cash flows positive. The money just banks because I know the roof's going to go or something's going right. to go. So I don't spend any of that money. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I'm I'm more than willing to rent it out at a lower rate to get the right tenants in there so they don't cause me problems. So you know, time's money. We're, we're busy people, got other things to do. And if you can make it cash flow, you can make it work and not get greedy. And like you said, t- 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, it's going to be an asset, a significant asset. And maybe that's something I can help my kids on or, you know, give somebody else a leg up on. So it's, to me, often it's, it's effort and time. I tend to put a ton of effort at the beginning. So we, we do a lot of research, figuring out the right project. Typically our projects need to be fixed up. So then I, I spend three or four months, decent amount of money, getting it up to code, fixing it, making it really nice. I buy, I do things with my, uh, my, I have any properties I don't do for my own house. Like I'll buy appliances and I'll get extended warranties on them. I never do that for my own things because something goes wrong over there. I just want someone to go over there and fix it because I don't really care. I'll, I'll purposely get tenants who will, will tell them is like, hey, you know, we're letting you, you're here, you got a dog and, you know, if your toilet clogs and you think you can fix it yourself, by all means, fix it yourself. Like those are the types of tenants we're looking for. But, you know, if, if something leaks, obviously call us like something big. Yeah. But the little things, if they can mow the lawn, do all that stuff, that's like quid pro quo. That's what we're looking for. Time, time's a huge issue. I just see, I just see a lot of people when when they ask me, "What do you think of this property?" and I'm like, "Show me the numbers. What are you putting down?" And I do the math, and I, I'm very blunt with them. I was like, "Yay or nay, whether I would do it or not." And often over the last couple of years, it's it's been nay um, because the numbers haven't really worked out, unless they found something special. And I just, I think that over the next couple of months, over like next year with these assignment sales, I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm, I just got that feeling that there's going to be a lot of opportunities. You just got to wait for more panic, I guess, where people really, is, 
the deadline's closing, they got to get rid of it. And if it's a tower of tons of units and there's more people, uh, I haven't seen that yet. So yeah, patience is going to be a key. And again, finding a good realtor who is willing to do the grunt work. I know realtors who will approach developers and they'll say, hey, look, put us on a list. Like you, you, you probably, you're probably the first people to know who's not going to be able to close. Put us on a list. Let them know we're interested. Mm-hmm. But we're interested at this price. Right. So you got to put the work in at the beginning. And then hopefully, uh, you know, six months later, it's like you wipe your hands of it and you just, you just wait. I think that that's a, that's a really good point about assignments. And, and it's something that we've been talking about as well, This especially in certain areas that have been really built up, right? Where there's going to be a lot of competition. Tons of supply. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, that's, that's definitely something to highlight. I think another interesting thing you talked about uh, a, little, a little while back here is that disconnect between seller's expectations versus what the market will actually provide, right? Mm-hmm. So versus, you know, your neighbor sold for a million bucks. Well, you're not going to get a million bucks today. And I think another thing that I'm noticing right now is some of the biggest opportunities in our market are people that have bought before selling because mm-hmm. of that disconnect. And it's interesting right now, right? Because they think, oh, you know, everyone's maybe their uncle or their, you know, they're a family member or whatever said, oh, put your house on the market. You'll sell in two weeks. We, we did this six months ago. It was a breeze. Don't worry about it. Feel comfortable buying before selling where that's just not the case. I mean, and, and maybe they're getting bad advice from their real estate agent as well about no, no, buy this and we can put you on the market. You'll sell. But the reality is that a lot of people now they they've purchased something. They're, they're not able to carry both properties. They're starting to sweat and they've got their place on the market. It's been on the market for, you know, 20, 30 days, especially in the detached market. Um, and now we're seeing it in East Van, in the townhouse or anything, um, anything basically north of a 1.2 right now in a lot of markets. Um, they're having a tough time, right? And there's huge opportunities there. Yeah, I, I, I've before you could buy a, you your t- realtors were telling people don't put any subjects on or anything like that. That right. was that was a different market. If I was buying right now, I'd be buying for sure was the subject. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you want that exit clause. And the the headlines are getting a lot worse now. They're, right. But it's it hasn't really reflected too much in the prices as far as I've seen, except for in the single family detached right now. And it people a lot of buyers are expecting it, okay, these are the sales numbers. It's gonna fall off. But it's not necessarily true. I mean Calgary's been flat for a good number of years almost. It hasn't really mm-hmm. fallen off a cliff. Because a lot of people if they don't get that price they want they can afford just to take it off the market. Yeah. It's just, that's it. They're, they're happy just living there. Right. You have to get, you have to find the people that have to sell, like the one example that you gave. Sure. Sure. And the, the mortgage rules are extremely punitive right now. So there will be those people. That's, that's just what I'm thinking. And I think, yeah. And I think right now, especially we're seeing inventory ramp up. Um, we're not, the, the verdict is still out whether the buyers are showing up this mm-hmm. September. So, I mean, this September is going to be very telling, but you're, you're absolutely right. Tons of opportunities right now. hundred yeah. percent. Speaking, uh, just, just to that point, maybe Mark, um, do you have any areas that you're excited about in Vancouver, just from an area perspective, neighborhood perspective? Uh, I kind of, I still like New West. I go with what I know. I like New West seems really intriguing to me. It seems like in terms of value for money, like I go back to the neighborhood where I bought and it's a beautiful neighborhood. Like the houses are nicer than the house that I live in. It's a beautiful street, boulevards and everything. And they're priced quite a bit cheaper than my Richmond house. So I think there's opportunities there. There's older units, there's new units coming on in New West. It's, it's a great neighborhood, lots of things to do. I also like the Sea to Sky Highway. 
And I've been watching Whistler for quite some time now, and I pulled the trigger a year and a half ago, and it was I didn't get the bottom by any means, but I, I got a really good price. It's gone up quite a bit. And it's just like one of those crunches. Like you, you read about the Whistler, they have lack of supply and the amount of nimbyism in Whistler is crazy. So they can't build anywhere. And now they're talking about building, but it's purely for employees, which is great. That's fine. But uh, Whistler is extremely expensive and there's no supply. So I was looking at Pemberton. I, I go up there quite often. I was looking at Pemberton. You can still buy two-bedroom apartments for about 300 grand. And essentially what Pemberton is, it's 25 minutes away from Whistler, and that's where the workers go, like yeah. construction mm-hmm. workers. And you can you, two or three people can go there and, and easily pay that rent. And so I, I thought there was an opportunity there. Squamish also seems quite appealing. You got the people who are now commuting from Squamish to Vancouver because it's it's about the same time. The highway is quite a bit better. So those those are the areas that that intrigue me. I, I think Whistler's great it's just there's no supply and then if you don't got that don't squamish and pemberton seem to be a good plan b fantastic well well maybe we should uh cut to the five wire mark can you stick around for this five uh, sure quick questions about vancouver okay so question number one what is your favorite neighborhood in vancouver uh i guess yale town you know i i bought my apartment where in it Yaletown. all began yeah <laughs> it's it's i always go back there and i always got that you know i get the feels you know you go there and you look around <laughs> and you, you remember you remember the good times just walking the dog my, my baby was born there and drinking coffee and all, going to the bars and at that time too even before the baby you know he's you, that's that's when you go out all night and stumble right. home and don't have to worry about calves and life is good uh yeah special special place in my heart for sure <laughs> so on that note yeah <laughs> favorite bar or restaurant and you might have to go back a couple of years oh, by the sounds okay. of things uh you know i'll go to i'll go with my local watering hole it's o'hare's in steveston area it's irish pub and it's just where me and my friends a lot of the real estate guys that i do things with we just hang out there on thursday he brings his trades out and we have a good time there nice i also like uh i'm I went to Japan for many years, so I'm partial to Japanese food. So I like uh, Gyukaku, which is izakaya, tapas-type bar. Like, meat on skewers, can't go wrong with that. Right. And beer. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, downtown Penthouse or Westside Mansion? Ah, uh, neither. You know, uh, it's not my style. I, I like what I did. You know, I bought a I bought a house and I renovated it. And if that allowed me to not spend on a on a penthouse and it afforded me to buy a place in Whistler, I'd rather do that. So I'd rather have the little little place in Whistler and the little place in Richmond. That's that's what I'd go for. S- sound advice. Or, or a revenue property too on the side, <laughs> if I can work that in. Where's the first place you bring someone from out of town? Yeah, when I go traveling, it's all about food. So I think I'm going, I'm going to dim sum. So I think we got some phenomenal dim sum. I'd probably take them to Keating uh, Dim Sum Restaurant in Richmond. Great. And just like stuff them full. And that's a good way to start any vacation in my books. <laughs> Great. And the, the last question, which seems to stump everybody, but uh, something that you have purchased in the last year or so under $500 that has been a real game changer in your life. So it could be an album, a gadget, a mm. book, anything. Uh, I would I would say I'm not a very materialistic guy. So it's not, don't really like gadgets and things. I, I'm an experienced guy and I, I did go to Japan, Singapore, and Thailand, and it cost me 430 bucks. Yeah, it was one of those YVR deals. Just wow. like he just bought it. And I brought the whole family because my, my, 
I lived in Japan. My wife's from Japan, so that was cool. My my father's from Singapore, so we got to see the hometown and then Thailand. Well, can't yeah. go wrong with Thailand. So four hundred and thirty bucks. I thought that was that was quite the experience. And, and where can you speak a little bit more about where you found this deal? <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> asking it, for a friend. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's it's yvrdeals.com. It's wow. It's not a. It's a website that just finds deals. They don't yeah. sell deals. They just they scour the internet. And they're phenomenal deals. Like I, I've used them a bunch of times. I've it, it, it's it's a it's a double edged sword because I had no intention on going on this vacation. But <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, such yeah. a good deal. You got to go. But yeah, yvrdeals.com, you, you go on their website and it'll, it'll just pop up. And it's like okay, Japan, Singapore, whatever. Um, you you don't have too much time. You got to make a decision pretty quick. But you call your wife. Hey, you want to go to Japan? And she's like, Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> and then it changes the game. Then it happens. <laughs> Excellent. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. But uh, Mark, how can people find out more about you and what you do? And okay, so on CBC, if, if you'd like to listen, it's uh, I'm on every Thursday at four four thirty five. So at CBC with Gloria Makarenko's the host. Uh, just the radio. I'm on TV once in a while, but sporadic. Uh, Twitter, Mark Ting, M-A-R-K-T-I-N-G-C-F-P. So at Mark Ting CFP. And our website is www.foundationwealth.ca. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much again, Mark. That was a great conversation. I think our listeners will take a lot from it. Great. Thank you. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with financial columnist for the CBC, Mark Ting, and partner and private wealth manager at Foundation Wealth. Super fascinating conversation with Mark. And the thing about Mark is he is definitely a talking head for real estate in Vancouver. Yeah, well, in financial wealth more generally, and I actually thought Mark was going to come on and talk more about diversifying your portfolio, sure. that type of thing. But it he's actually made a lot of money in real estate. He's bought a lot of real estate. He's sold a lot of real estate. He's got a ton of experience, and he's... He's always, he's very excited about real estate. So it was a fantastic conversation. Yeah. And a huge takeaway for me, Matt, was his conversation about how he structures his joint ventures and, right. and how he chooses his partners. And he had some really wise advice in terms of uh, go just th- making sure you know who you're getting in bed yeah, with. Yeah, you go through a couple of those and then you learn a lot. That's for sure. So it was a great conversation with Mark. Uh, what else do we got today? Matt, just quickly before we get to the rest, oh, I just want right. to say, yeah, Mark on his way out told us this fascinating story about real estate that he's purchased in Cambodia. And that story, honestly, it was like gripping. We have to have him back. We got to have him back. Can't wait to have him back to tell you this story because it involves uh, tuk-tuk drivers, rice patties. Economic free zones. Uh, people paying people off, potentially. Three-star generals, casinos. It's, uh, it's, uh, there's it's a like lot a, going there's on. There's a movie script here. There is, and Mark's hopefully going to come back on the show to talk to us Can't about wait it. Yeah. for that. But Matt, we also got private client services and uh, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That's right. PCS, Matt, if you are not using private client services, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market, realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's the best resource out there, and it's for free on our website. If you're not using private client services to search Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. And I should say, there was a Daily Hive article the other day about, oh, sold prices available. We've been doing that for years hey, at the Vancouver get, you, real estate you've podcast. Sold pri- you've had access to sold prices for three years. Daily Hive, feature us. Yeah, give me a break. Give me a break. Anyway, we also got that mobile app. Matt, picture this. You're on the back of a 1968 Honda CB300. Uh, it has not been modified into a cafe racer yet. <laughs> you are on your way to Phnom Penh, or better yet, CM Reap. Yeah, CM And Reap. on your way there, 
you look over and you go, wait, Angkor, what is that? That is a really nice property. And uh, you point your mobile app at it. Turns out it's for sale. How many Cambodian reals are we talking? We're talking a lot. We're talking a lot of real. <laughs> a couple billion, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, keep it real and head over to our site and download that app. It is fantastic. What else, man? What else do we got? We got reviews. We're almost at 180 reviews. We are almost at 180 reviews. So if you like the program, if you find value from what we're doing here, head over, give us a review, share it with a friend, share it with a family member, anything that you can do to help us grow this podcast. We appreciate it. And we really appreciate the support. Absolutely. hundred percent. And you can give me a shout at any time at 778-847-2854 or Matt at Vancouver real estate podcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at Vancouver real estate podcast.com. We also got that secret Scalina line info at Vancouver real estate podcast.com. Secret Scalina never talks. Beep, beep. There he was. <laughs> there he that was. was him. <laughs> anyway, enjoy your week, guys, and we'll uh, we'll be back next Wednesday. One thing to say is, if you don't think foreign investment is an important driver in recent price trends in Vancouver, then I've got a liquefied natural <laughs> gas facility to sell you. <laughs> Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. 
if you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.